Hi, you're listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist Church Conway. These resources are not designed to take the place of a local church, but we hope they will encourage you on your journey with Christ. For more information about how you can connect with the Second Family, visit mysecond.family. Thanks for listening. I've always had this uh, interest, we could say that. It's sort of a fascination, but it's an interest in church buildings. I like church polity and what's called ecclesiology and theology and pastoral ministries, all that sort of stuff. I like that stuff, which should be uh, comforting to y'all since I'm your pastor. I, I like this stuff, all right? So I like being involved in it, but I also like church structures. It doesn't really matter if they're Baptist or not. I just really like church structures. In fact, this is just the way I am, so much to the point that it is not uncommon for me to pass a church that I find interesting or unique and to stop and go in. I'll just walk in, and it doesn't matter the time of day or whatever. I want to go in, I want to see things. I want to see how things are in there. That's, it's gotten me in trouble a number of times. Another thing about me is that uh, if you give me directions, you can tell me the street, you can tell me the coordinates, and I don't know what you're talking about. But if you tell me how far it is past a church, I know exactly. where You could say, it's right around by the Methodist church. And I'm like, oh yeah, I know that place. You know, that's just, it's just the way my brain works. When I was a student minister in Athens, Texas, I uh, passed this one particular Assemblies of God church every day. This Assemblies of God building. Church is people, but this was their building. And it was unusual to me because it was shaped like an octagon, okay? And then there was a steeple in the middle, a hallway, and a gym. I, I assume it was a gym over here to the side. And and I was interested, and I wanted to see what does an octagon-shaped church look like? That's not—a lot of Baptists don't build— things like that. We get confused with just the squares, and so we don't, we don't build octagon-shaped things. And so one day I decide, I'm going to look in this church, you know. So I pull my little truck in there. I go up to all the doors, and I pull on them. There's a few cars here, but nobody answers the door. I knock, nothing like that. I go around back, and I found a door, uh, uh, just a metal door, unlocked, all right? Should not go into just random back doors you find unlocked, but I wanted to see, right? So I go in this door, the door shuts behind me, and instantly it is dark, really dark, all right? I can't see anything. I should have just walked back out, but I wanted to see, all right? So I start to feel my way around this hallway, and it doesn't take me very long to realize I am walking in an octagon-shaped hallway, all right? I get to a corner, and the corner feels like that, you know? And, and so then I just walk along a little bit more, and this, I, I'm walking, I assume, around the sanctuary in a octagon-shaped hallway. So as I'm making my way around there, I keep screaming, hello? No answer. So I keep going until I get to the front of the building there, and this sort of brightens up. I see light. There's glass out this way. There's a couple doors here. I'm thinking these are the doors to go into the sanctuary, but I'm going to wait until I find a minister or something like that. And so I walk around the next portion of the, of the octagon-shaped hallway, and I get over here to the side. I had come in this side, walked around, and I get over here to this side, and there is a, a hallway like a better word, a big glass hallway, glass on both sides, and I can see doors on that side, and I thought, this is it. If I walk through this hallway, I'm going to find uh, the ministers or something like that. There were cars out there, you know, and so I, hello? No answer. So 
no sooner do I step across the threshold of that little hallway there than Gabriel sounds his horn. It is the loudest sound and siren I have ever heard in my life. Their siren must have been hanging maybe a foot from my right ear, and I lose all consciousness. I have no idea what is going on or control of my body. And so most normal people would put their hands on their ears like this and and maybe yell or, or something. I don't know. But I do what I still to this day do not understand why I did this. I went like this, just as hard as I could. It hurt. I hit my ears so hard, both then and right now. And so I do like this. And and for whatever reason, I feel like I can run faster with one arm. And so I take off running the way I came from whence I came, you know. And so I haul off running, screaming the whole time, hello, you know, like this. And I slam into all eight of those walls around the corner because I'm not feeling my way around there anymore. Bust out the back door on my way to my truck, get into my truck. Everything is shaking. At the time I drove a stick. Have you ever tried to drive a stick when, you're, when your leg is shaking, you know, like this? I get out of the parking lot, down the highway, cops are flying this way, and I'm waving at each of them, and I get off. <laughs> Apparently they had a very good uh, security system, not security cameras. I was never questioned or in, investigated. And to this day, I've not walked into an Assemblies of God church. Have you ever felt disoriented? You don't know what's really going on. Something comes up out of the blue and you have no idea how to respond or how to react. You maybe do weird things. You run from the problem, you scream as best you can, but you don't really know what's going on. Maybe like in my story, you're afraid for your life, but maybe you're not afraid for your actual life. Maybe you're afraid of the economics Maybe there's a health situation that comes out of nowhere and it sounds louder than you can possibly even think through and you don't know which way to go. You don't know how to get help. There's nobody answering. And so it just feels like within your heart and within your mind, within your soul, it just feels like you are running into walls, completely and totally disoriented. You can't hear any truth. You can't see any reality. I bring all of that up because in Luke chapter 22, in Luke 22, Jesus gives us what I believe to be a better strategy than the one that we employ when we are disoriented, afraid, and unsure. Jesus gives us a strategy that is far better than taking off running and screaming at everybody and, and slamming into walls. Jesus gives us a strategy that I think will help us regardless of what it is that brings fear and, and, and stress to us. That's what we're going to look at this morning. So let's pray together and then we will see where, where, what the strategy is and when it was that Jesus gave it to us. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for all of the gifts that you have given us. We are so humbled to be a part of a church like this. We thank you and praise you for those who have made steps, public declarations that they too have decided to follow you, that you have made them new. And so God, we celebrate in all of that. God, we celebrate for those who are working in our, our children's ministry and our next generation ministries as they share the gospel with people who are, who are making personal decisions to follow you. God, many people walked in here today and something happened, maybe this last week, maybe they're afraid of something about to happen this next week. There's things going on around them that they just don't understand. And so they feel disoriented, confused, scared. So God, I pray today that your word would speak into their hearts. Give them, give them a strategy. Give them a way to, to cope with that, to move through it in a way that both glorifies you and helps their soul. It's in Jesus' name that we pray together. Amen.
This is the third part of our uh, night trial series by Dr. Luke. Luke, the author of the Gospel of Luke and Acts, was a physician. And so Dr. Luke wrote this story here, and we're looking at a couple of different scenes as everything culminates towards Jesus being tried in a mock um, trial and then ultimately executed. We saw a scene in which Jesus confronts the religious leaders at the time, and he lets them know that they have squandered away their opportunities, that they are rejecting the very cornerstone, the very bedrock of their faith when they reject Jesus. The next scene, which was last week, we observed as Jesus celebrates in an ancient Jewish festival called, um, well, well, they called it the Passover. We now call it the Lord's Supper, which always and was always pointing towards Jesus. That that night, when they took that meal together, they were celebrating something that would point towards Jesus's ultimate death, that he was the sacrificial lamb. That's the two scenes that we have observed here. Now, as we are watching that, that night that they have that meal, Jesus takes his disciples and his followers, and they go on a little walk. They head out after the meal to walk into the garden. It's late in the evening, and not everyone followed them. In fact, Judas went off in the shadows. One of the, one of the 12, one of the disciples that was with him, he kind of um, slinks off into the shadows. But the rest of them follow or trail behind Jesus, and they have an argument the whole time that they're walking. They actually get into a little bit of a fight. You have to really picture the scene because it matters. It's dark. There's no street lights. There's no house lights. Maybe they passed a dog or two that would maybe bark or growl a little bit as the dog doesn't know what's going on. There's a cool breeze in the night, and the moon cuts through the scraggly branches of an olive tree. Off in the distance, you can see here this, this big, mighty city start to fall asleep. There's those uh, crickets and night animals and, and bugs that make noises. And even though they're in a small group and they shuffle their way through this garden, even though they're in a group of friends they have walked with for over three years now, there is this deep, uh, foreboding sense of loneliness isolation, this, 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 this feeling that even though they are with other people, they are all completely by themselves. And it's that aloneness, it's suffocating in the story, to be honest. Jesus feels it. Jesus feels the rejection. Jesus is carrying this burden in which he knows that in just a few moments, within hours, he's going to be completely and totally rejected and betrayed by, by his friends and by his, his closest relatives and, and family. He's going to be all by himself. And in fact, he's going to experience death. And I really think that that scene that moment that happens between the Passover and what's about to happen and all of the noise and the chaos that's about to overtake this quiet, isolating garden, all of that happening in the middle of that speaks to many people here today. That a lot of you watching online, maybe you're watching online because you feel this, because you feel so alone and by yourself and, and pulled out to the side. You feel like there are people out to get you, and not in a paranoid way, but there's somebody meddling in your marriage. There's somebody meddling in your career, in your education. There's these things and these obstacles and these individuals that are causing all sorts of conflict, and you feel all by yourself, isolated and rejected and alone. Jesus, Jesus felt that. He experienced that. He carried that with him into this dark, quiet night garden. It's in that moment that Jesus gives us strategy. He gives us what to do. Let's look at it here in the text. 
This is what Jesus says for them to do. He says, he went out and made his way as usual to the Mount of Olives. That's the garden. Olivet, maybe your Bible says. And the disciples followed him. And when he reached the place, he told them, pray that you may not fall into temptation. And then he withdrew from them about a stone's throw away. And then he knelt down and he began to pray. This is Jesus's prayer. This is the words that he says. He says, Father, if you are willing, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And then an angel from heaven appeared to, to him, strengthened him, gave him encouragement and strength. And being in anguish, passion, fear, um, being scared, he prayed more fervently. And his sweat became like drops of blood falling to the ground. And when he got up from prayer and came to the disciples, he found them sleeping, exhausted from their grief. Why are you sleeping? Jesus asked them. I imagine he kind of like kicks Peter's leg a little bit there. They all stir. He says, why are you asleep? Get up and pray so that you won't fall into temptation. Jesus, in the midst of this, in the midst of this loneliness, in the midst of this rejection, tells the disciples that the strategy is for them to pray, that they need to pray. This is what Jesus tells them to do. And, and let me just pause here for a second and let you know that prayer is just speaking to God. I say that because a lot of people get sort of twisted. They get confused when we start to talk about prayer or when we bring up the idea of prayer or if somebody was to say, hey, would you, would you go ahead and lead us in a word of prayer? If somebody says that and they point at you, some of you would rather, you know, die or step in front of traffic than to pray in front of a group, you know? There's this, there's this feeling when it comes to prayer because a lot of us have it in our brains that there's a right way to do it and a wrong way to do it and surely I'm going to do it the wrong way. It's really just talking to God like you would talk to a friend. It's, in fact, it's the person you're speaking to that makes it a prayer. That when we pray, we are just telling God what happened, what's about to happen, something like that. We're just, we're just praying in that way. So what does Jesus say about prayer? What does Jesus say in this text? What, what does he give us so that we can take with us into this story? Well, I want you to notice a couple of things. He went out and made his way as usual to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples followed him. One of the very first things that Jesus tells us about prayer is that we need to pray no matter what just happened, no matter what's just going on in our lives. It's really hard um, to capture fully the mood, the, 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 the feeling that's going on as these 13 or these 12 minus Judas are, are walking out into the garden can to see with our mind's eye, with our imagination, what's really happening in this story. Look, the tension is so thick in the air as they sort of quietly make their way out into these olive trees. Jesus is acting differently. He's sort of reserved. He went off by himself. There's this weird feeling about the words that Jesus is saying. The disciples just got into an argument, and surely some of them said some things that they regret. That they, they made a, you know, one of them is just that kind of personality that can say the word to cut at the other one. And so that there's this, there's this feeling of tension and this pain going as these good friends, these people that love one another, have just gotten in this argument and they're upset about things. Jesus, I mean Judas rather, walked off and no one exactly knows why. Listen, one of their friends, one of their brothers, one of the, the guy who keeps the money, Jesus says something to him, and apparently he made him mad. And so they're all arguing, and Judas just walks off into the shadows, and nobody knows where he went. Nobody even knows why he's gone. That is why he's gone. 
That just happened. In verse 45, it says that they fell asleep, not because they're lazy, not because it's late, but they fell asleep because they were exhausted by their grief. They're hurting and they're in pain. You ever cried yourself to sleep? I'm not sure they, cry, they were crying, but there is this deep drain, the tension that is happening in that. Jesus has just repeatedly told them that he's going to die. He will not eat another Passover meal with them, that one of them is going to betray him, and that Peter is going to reject him three times before the morning comes. Tension is so high, and things are just not right. They just don't seem right. And in that moment, as they're following him out to this garden, Jesus says, pray. This is the strategy. This is what I want you to do. You need to talk to God. Now, just being honest with you, and maybe you could relate to this, but in these moments like this, I don't feel like praying, all right? This is not the time I'm like, our Father, which art in heaven. This is not where I'm really going to share my heart with God. I'm a doer. I'm a fixer. That's my personality. I know that uh, at least half of you feel that same way. Right now, here, I'm getting everybody together. I'm like, hey, listen, I said some things. You said some things. It's not right. Let's, let's all kind of get to the bottom. Where did Judas go? You know, like, who, did anybody, that, that guy's acting snake? And that kind of stuff. I'm just going to figure out this stuff. Somebody ring him up and, and Jesus, could you stop with the I'm about to die thing. We all, that's not real. And, and let's just work through our emotions right now because everybody feels like they're about to kill one another. That's the way that I would do it. Anybody else um, going to be in that one? Nobody's, everybody, let's pray. You know, it's like, you hush, all right? And so we're going to take care of some stuff right here. Jesus tells them in the middle of this, you need to pray. You need to go to God and tell him what's going on. Jesus says that in the middle of you trying to feel like you need to fix this, you need to stop and tell God about what just happened. When everything is going on, when everything is welling up, it's a helpful for, reminder for us to realize or to remember that we need to tell God before we tell others. You need to tell God before you tell anyone else. You can write that down and memorize it. How many of you have ever gotten into a little conflict at work? And as soon as you get back to your office, you're shutting that door and you're ringing up, you know, your spouse, well, you will not believe, you know. You let them know, you know. And it feels, it feels good, you know. Yeah, she's on my side. He's on my, you know, that kind of thing. Are you getting your truck and you, you, I mean, you already knew who you were calling, you know. You're backing away from the person you just had a conflict with, and you are dialing their number. You're like, yeah, it's good to see you, fool. And you get in your car, you know. Jesus says, you got to stop that and pray. Philippians 4, 6 through 7 says, don't worry about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Whatever just happened, you need to go take that to God because that's where you're going to find peace. Whatever just happened, go tell God about it. Jesus says, it's obvious in this, that Jesus wants us to pray no matter what just happened, but he also wants us to pray about what we think might happen. Verse 41, then he withdrew, Jesus, he goes off by himself, about a stone's throw away, and he knelt down, and he began to pray, Father, if you're, if you're willing take this cup away from me. That cup there is talking specifically about Jesus's, Jesus's death, his, his, his torture that he's about to go through. If, the, if you're willing, take this cup away from me, but nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. 
Jesus knows what's about to happen. We don't necessarily always know what is about to go on in our lives, but Jesus does. Jesus can tell them until he's blue in the face, and there just isn't any other way uh, around it. They cannot imagine understanding what it is that Jesus just said. Listen, Jesus tells them repeatedly that he's about to die, and they cannot grasp it. When you read through the Gospels, Jesus literally says, listen, I'm going to be killed. And they're like, okay, yeah, sweet. Where are we, where are we eating dinner tonight? You know, you got any fish? You know, that kind of thing. That's how they always respond to him saying, guys, I, I just imagine he says it, and then they're like, okay. And, you know, they walk away. They can't wrap their brain around it. And here's the deal. You and I wouldn't do it either. We'd be sitting there thinking, okay, I know he keeps talking about the death thing, but surely he's, he's like allegory or something. It's like it's a picture of something else. There's no way that Jesus is about to die. The religious leaders are, are pretty ticked off at Jesus. The Romans don't seem all that bothered by Jesus. And the religious leaders are legally not allowed to kill anybody. So that's not going to happen. Also, besides that, if anyone thinks they're going to come and get Jesus, they're going to have to go through me and my, you know, uh, 11 other friends. Or maybe 10. Because where is Judas? You know, that kind of thing. But, but they're going to have to come through us, right? There's no way Jesus is dying tonight. There's no way Jesus is dying. Jesus, you're going to live to a ripe old age. They cannot put their brains around what is about to happen, but Jesus does. Jesus knows. He knows exactly what is about to happen. And it's interesting to me that Jesus doesn't ask them to pray for himself. He doesn't say, go off by yourself. Listen, everybody pray. Would y'all pray for me? I'm about to go through something. He tells them to pray for themselves. What Jesus is showing us in that is that what's about to happen is going to get scary. What's about to go down is going to get intense and it's going to go bad. You need to pray that you are strong enough to stand throughout this whole thing, that it doesn't shake you enough to, to knock you off of your relationship with God. You need to pray for yourself. And Jesus himself prays for himself. God, if there's any other way, but even if there's not, what Jesus wants them to know or understand what Jesus wants is that they would not abandon in the dark what they know to be true in the light. This night trial is about to go really scary, and Jesus wants them to make sure that they're not going to abandon in the dark what they know to be true in the light, that they needed to hold on and pray for whatever's about to happen. Isn't that one of the things that keeps us up late at night? You don't know for sure how the thing is going to go, but you're pretty sure it's not going to be fun. You ever go off and you're talking to your spouse or your friend or your roommate and you're like, all right, let's go do this, you know? And, you, and you, what you're communicating there is like, this ain't gonna be fun, but I gotta go have this conversation or take this test or I gotta go talk to the doctor and see what the results are. As the great poet and philosopher Eric Church sings, the wolf hunts a hungry man and the devil a lonely heart. A mind filled of bad decisions lay hiding in the dark. Greed stalks, sickness steals, and pride lays a wicked trap. You can't avoid them all. No, you got to trust me on that. Anymore when a restless feeling keeps me up at night, falling on my knees is my new turning on the lights. I keep my faith intact to make sure my prayers are said because I've learned that the monsters ain't the ones beneath my bed. That these things that keep us up late at night, these real monsters, when you grow older, you realize there's no monsters under the bed. But there are all of these things that keep us up late at night that are, are living in our day planner and our schedule and the conflicts and the relationships that we have happen. Jesus says, Jesus shows, whatever happened, tell it to God. Whatever's about to happen, whatever you think is about to happen, tell it to God. 
And then he says that they need to be aware of what's going on. See, after he prayed, he went back to them and he found them asleep, sleeping, exhausted from their grief. And he asked them, why are you asleep? You need to pay attention. Look, what's about to happen, literally, we know this. Even if you're an atheist, you understand this, that what is about to happen changes human history for all of history, for all of the people that live on this planet. What is about to happen in this night trial cracks the planet, and they're in danger of sleeping through it. I grew up in uh, southern Mississippi, in Gulfport, Mississippi. People will, will I'll say, I'm in, from I, uh, my childhood in southern Mississippi. They'll say, what part? And I'll say, Gulfport. You can't go more southern um, than this part. That's the end, all right? And so you fall into the water after that. That's where I grew up. And I was there from like two and a half to ninth grade, and uh, two and a half years old to ninth grade. And in that whole time, it, it, it snowed twice in my childhood. It snowed twice. One time, I was in Kentucky, and I missed it, all right? So I missed that one. The second time, I was asleep, and it melted before I woke up, all right? That's my childhood snow stories for all of you who made snowmen and snow ice cream growing up. Lucky you, all right? And so that's not my life. That's why I missed it. And they're in danger of missing something huge because they're sleeping through it. And they're not the only ones. A lot of people in the church are sleeping through their lives as well. They're living according to a predetermined script, and they're just sleepwalking through life. Wake up and pay attention to what is happening. I mean this with as much love as I have, but listen to me, and I'm telling you the truth here as, as a friend, as a pastor, but the media is manipulating you. Both sides are manipulating people. You are not being informed. You are being influenced. You're going to have to read the full article and think critically with some understanding of history and policy and philosophy. You are going to have to do more than just read the title and see a picture. You will need, to, you will need multiple sources and to listen to a few educated and informed people who have studied the actual topic and not just people who have been educated in broadcast journalism. Just because someone's face is on TV and the show is named after them don't mean that they know a lick about what has actually happened and even less that they understand it. People are being manipulated. Wake up and realize that you are being manipulated. And that's just one example, one super broad example. Your loved ones are going to hell if they don't accept Jesus as their Savior. Wake up. See that. Realize that that's the world that we live in. Hurt, there's people all around you that are hurting, and hurt people hurt people. Wake up and realize that that is what is happening. 1 Corinthians 16 says, Be alert, stand firm in the flesh, be courageous, be strong, do everything in love. We have a lot of people that feel like they are courageous and strong, but they're not acting in love. Do everything in love. Ephesians 6, pray at all times in the Spirit with every prayer and request, and stay alert with all perseverance and intercession for all the saints. 1 Peter, be sober-minded, be alert. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion looking for anyone he can devour. Pay attention. Stay alert. Pray about whatever happened. Pray about what you think is about to happen. Tell God the things that are going on in your life at that moment and be specific with your request. Notice what Jesus says in this text here when he says, so that you, may, you won't fall into temptation. This is a very specific request 
that Jesus wants them to to say. It's, It's not just a broad example. It's specifically what he wants them to say. And this is a hard prayer. You know why this is such a hard prayer? Because it means... If you pray that, if Jesus says this about you, that this means you can fall. If you need to pray that you wouldn't fall, then it means that you can fall, that there is a possibility that you can fall. Just a few verses earlier, Jesus tells Peter, you're going to reject me. You're my, my, my boy, you're my best friend, and we, we, we've spent the last three and a half years together, we're walking around, but listen to me, before it's morning, you will reject me three times. And Peter says, nah, that's not gonna happen. There's no way, Jesus, there's no way that I'm gonna reject you. I would go to prison. Jesus, I would die for you. Peter says that just a few verses earlier, and by the morning break, Peter rejects Jesus three times. Christ himself tells Peter what's about to happen, and Peter still does it. In part, why? Because he believed he couldn't fall. He was so arrogant to think that that would not hit him, but it did. It takes humility to pray that God would give you patience with your children. Who wants to pray that? You sound like a, you know, you sound like a bad parent, but God already knows exactly what kind of parent you are. I'm not saying you're a bad parent, but God knows. God knows you're trying. God knows your heart. You need to pray specifically. Who, who wants to pray that you would love your spouse, that your love for your spouse would be renewed, that you would love them and fall in love with them again like you once had? Nobody wants to pray that. You sound like a bad husband. or You, you sound like a, like a bad wife or something. Nobody wants to pray these specific sort of things. Who wants to pray things like God to keep you from tripping into pride or lust or greed or, or whatever the request is? You don't want to say those things out loud even if you just think them in your mind because in those moments you're thinking that you don't measure up, that you don't meet your own standards, that you have to admit some sort of weakness and that God is the source and the answer for that. He is the solution. This is powerful. This is how it works. You got to tell God exactly what it is that you need him to do. You have to let him know exactly what it is that you cannot do on your own. In that quiet, isolating, dark garden, the still is broken by an army with swords and torches. The night trial is just about to start, but we'll get to that next week. Prayer is hard work. Prayer is needed. It's the needed breath and the release and the relief. We don't pray um, or, or, or talk to God because we think that it's magic. Like I said earlier, that you have to say it just the right way. But in our deepest moments of sadness, of isolation, of rejection, and of fear, we need to pray. We need to see God for who he is. We need to understand that he is the one that can help us. We need to pray because of what happened. Tell God about it. You find out that, um, or, or you will find that it is helpful that way. Let him know how you feel and how it affected you. Whatever happened, let him know. Tell him how, how you feel about it and how it affected you. Tell him uh, about the other people involved. Ask him to turn your heart and their hearts towards God. Pray because of what is happening in the moment. Right now, all of the things that are around you. Ask him about it and how you should respond. God, this is what happened. What should I do? This is what's happening. How should I speak? What is best for me to say or to feel? How do you want me or what is it that you want to teach me? What do you want, to, want me to notice? Pray about what is about to happen. Not just God bless this mess, but God direct these steps. 
Pray not just, God, bless this mess, but God, direct my steps. Let me do only what will glorify you before I walk in here. Before all of this goes down the drain, let me be used by you to make a difference. Tell God that you would like uh, the person that you share the gospel with to be receptive to the gospel. Tell God about the people that need to, to know him. He knows these things, but tell him anyways. Pray that they will be receptive and open to the message that need to say. And, and, and pray, finally, and pray specifically. Tell God exactly what you can't do and what you need him to do. Be humble enough to see it and confident enough to ask for it. Y'all ever met a kid or raised a kid who regularly will eat off of your plate? Anybody? I see a couple of people shaking their head. All right. Were you that kid that would regularly eat off of somebody's plate? It's, it's a weird thing. I've met adults that are this way. Uh, you just kind of meet them. You're having dinner with them for like the second time. And they'll be like, are you going to eat all that mac and cheese? And, and you're like, you don't know how to respond, you know? Like, this is your house, so... Um, but I was like, well, since my fork is in it, I was going to make a go at it. Yeah, I was going to try to eat all this mac and cheese. And that's what's interesting. When you think about the child like that or the adult like that, they're always asking for something specific. They're, it's not that they're just hungry. If they were just hungry, they would eat anything. You know, whatever's left over there, they'll, they'll, they'll eat the rest of that. And man, if you're hungry, we'll get you more food, right? But they, it's not that they're hungry, it's that specific thing that they want. You know, it's the one, you know the side, you know when you're making it. Like, you know, this one kid's going to want twice what everybody else. In our house, it's veggie tots, all right? In ve when, whenever we have veggie tots, there's a regular conversation. One of my children, usually my second, will say, you know, hey, are, are there any more veggie tots? He just, he just inhaled his, you know? He's looking around, are there any more veggie tots? And Jackie and I, well, one of us will say, no, that was all of them. We divvied them out. He almost always responds with, are you going to eat all of yours? You know? And we're like, yes. Yes, we're going to eat. Jackie's like, yes, I'm going to eat all of these. Dad, are you going to eat all of those? You know? It's just this very specific. Here's what I want you to do. In just a moment, you're going to have a chance to pray. And I want you to pray for more veggie tots. I want you to be very specific on what it is that you want God to do that only God can provide. You want God to save your mom's soul? Then ask him. Tell him to save your mother. You want to see the Greenbrier campus reach 500 individuals every Sunday? Then tell him that. This campus, 1,500. Our church together, baptizing 100 people in a year's time. You want to see people um, at the end of services come forward and make the decision and say, I want to trust Jesus? Then tell him that. Tell him what you want him to do. If you want to see God reach in and save your friend's child from an illness that none of us can understand, but we all know is really bad, then you ask God. Tell God that. Whatever the specific thing is, tell him. Pray specifically about whatever happened, whatever you are afraid might happen, what, all the storm that's going on around you. Tell him specifically what's going down. Thank you for listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist. We hope that we will see you in person this next Sunday. To find more information about service times, location, and ministry offerings, visit mysecond.family. Thank you for listening.